Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a special Saturday edition of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by one of my favorite authors slash writers, Drew McGarry of Defector. Drew, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, I just finished the hike yesterday. I hope it didn't suck. The hike did not suck. The hike was very oh, good. good. The hike was, it was very different than the first book, which is how I found you um, on parenting. Uh, the yellow and black one, I'm blanking on the so name. So you get hurt. Yes. Um, it Yes. And that was really good. And that was more, uh, th- it was just a very different book. So I, I want to talk about both. Um, but yeah, the hike is a delight. And the hike is one of those where for me, um, fiction books can go one of two ways. Either one, I get really wrapped up in it and I'm done with it in two days, or I got to pick like it, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to take some time and it's going to be uh, next to my bed for, for a few weeks. Your book was a couple days and I needed to see, see how this ended because with every new environment that Ben found himself in, I had to keep going to the next chapter. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i also a terrible reader in that regard. I'm also, I'm really bad about novels. I read mostly nonfiction. So, uh, you know, like when people ask me about, like when I put a novel out and people are like, oh, have you read X, Y, and Z? And I haven't. And sometimes I pr- pretend. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that, that author. I don't say that I, like, I, I might have heard of the author and not read them, but I don't give away the part where I have not read any of their shit. Mm-hmm. So you you don't read fiction at all? No, I mean sometimes I do, but it's not terribly often. And usually it's uh, it usually it's historic fiction, or it's fiction that's grounded in some semblance of of research, like uh, you know Carter beats the devil and stuff like that. Interesting. Okay, um, I want to start because like both of us being in in media and writers and podcasters and all that, something that I always like asking people like yourself is. When friends and family ask what you do for a living, how do you answer that? Well, it's easy now. I say I'm a, I say I'm a writer now. Okay. Uh, at the beginning of my blogging career, I actually didn't do that because I felt like saying you're a writer was very presumptuous. And a lot of the writers that I knew or that I had read online were people I didn't really like. Like, I might have liked their writing, but they just did not strike me as people I liked. And I always sort of. And this sound, this does not sound good in retrospect after the past five years, but I always felt like um, I was I was sort of a, a failed comedian who was putting all his best jokes online, and that was kind of it. I didn't really fancy myself a writer, but you know I've written books and I've written you know big magazine features and cover stories and stuff like that. So I think it's all right. I just say I'm a writer now. That's that's pretty good. Okay. Is there a point where you'll be like you'll say podcaster first? No, I actually, I actually never say that, and the people <laughs> are probably not going to be happy with me that I said that. But no, usually I say I'm, the the writer is the the cart that leads all horses. Yeah, see, I'm flipped. Where with the podcast, and like I want that to lead everything, and then I want the the podcasting to supplement my writing so that I can do the cool writing that I that I want to do. Um, and this podcast being like the the main thing, but yeah. Um, how are things going at Defector? I read the Defector every day. I'm a member. Defector's great. How is it going for you? It's actually going great. We are coming up on our one year anniversary, and that's a big deal for us mm-hmm. because <laughs> when we signed, when we started, 
most of the people who signed up signed up for a year. Mm. And so what happens is, you know, when the year anniversary comes, everything auto renews, right? So if you if you don't do anything, your subscription keeps going. But you can opt out if you so choose. And, you know, for the sake of ethics, we send, you know, we send every subscriber an email saying, hey, it's our your your subscription's coming up. You know, you, you can you can unsubscribe if you want. We hope you stay on. And so we're all sort of shitting bricks, making sure everyone stays aboard. But there's really nothing to indicate that people are are going to jump ship because we've spent the past year, you know, doing exactly what people subscribe to us for, giving them good good posts and and a good place to go all day long, you know, when they don't want to practice law. <laughs> we've got Ray Rado, who is just my favorite writer on the site and someone I've enjoyed reading reading so much. He's maybe my favorite sports writer to, to read on a daily basis. I will tell him. He's been on this podcast. He's he's funny. Ray is just, his writing is just unique. He's like one of those where when I write something, and I don't know if you have somebody like this in your life, where you read it and you're like, I can't write like that. That's just, he's so much better than me. It, that's the two Rays for me. When I, I do read. that, but not with Ray. I can write like Ray. It's <laughs> Who do you do that with? Um, I mean, like, just like big big names like karen russell mm-hmm. or like or like great historic you know like like great historic uh writers or great tv writers you know like richard price or somebody like that mm-hmm. so those are people that i can't i can't really emulate although i i think i've gotten to a point where i don't i, I think it's i think it's dumb of me to say i can't write that well ever i may as well try to write that well if i don't come close to it and that's okay. Then I at least did my best, but I I don't want to. I think I'm cutting myself or selling myself short. You know, if I start off any project, you know, just being like, well, I'm not Cormac McCarthy, and you know, go from there. Like, you know, then you're already sort of you're lowering your own expectations for yourself. So I may as well set them higher. And uh, if I don't quite reach Shakespeare's level, that's okay. But I may as well do my goddamn best to do it. Yeah, did you did you have any writers that you tried to emulate growing up? Was was there like a writer that helped you find your own voice? Because I think it's going to be very hard for listeners of this show if they are big Drew McGarry fans like myself. You're not going to be able to emulate your writing style. It's very unique. It's very different. No one's going to be able to do. This is why your team sucks in your way. Like, do you, do you think about that at all? And do you have? Um, like just with your style and did you have someone that you kind of built and you kind of got found your voice through I remember the light went on for me when I was in English class it was it was either sophomore or junior and we were assigned catch 22 and I was I was at the stage then like I tested much better on math than I did on English I didn't like English class all this stuff and I started reading catch 22 and I was like I like this like this is making me laugh I can't like I can't believe they assigned me a book I'm actually enjoying reading. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could write like this. Like, if I were going to write something, I'd want to write like this. I, and, of course, that doesn't mean I can write a masterpiece that Joseph Heller wrote. But it meant that, you know, you are not – you are not uh, – when you write, you don't have to write in any sort of dreary, stodgy way that, you know, makes it – the people reading it feel like they're being forced to read it, you know. And, and that was a big revelation for me. And, you know, that, you know, along the way, you know, I, I, I read other things like Clockwork Orange and Ulysses that informed how, how I write. But also there's so much non-writing that goes into it, particularly stand-up comedy. Like I grew up with Richard, Richard Pryor and Sam Kennison and stuff like that. And so all of the, 
all of that goes into the writing, and so it has the voice of a performance when I put it down. Interesting. Is there a sports writer that you enjoy reading the most? Right now, it's Roth. It's David Roth is okay. You know, and and you know that was one of the things is that. Do you want him I, to know this as your co-host on a podcast? Do you want him to know? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was I. I started at, at Deadspin as a commenter, like I was mm. a reader first, and I got there, and it was my favorite website in the world right away. And it never stopped being that until, of course, the day we all quit and then went over to Defector. Now, Defector is my favorite website, and that's sort of my hub for all for all sports writing. And I, you know, I venture out, you know, and and read, you know, really good good shit from like Seth Wickersham, or or I read, of course, like Matthew Collar and like Chad Graff on the Vikings, you know, because that's information that I require as a Vikings fan. Um, but you know, a, a lot of my favorite sports writers now are are the people I. I work with, which sounds arrogant, but I, I, you know, it just, it, it just happens to be a stroke of good fortune that I get to work with them. Yeah. You I mean, Defector employs a lot of great sports writers and I am very grateful for that because, um, I'm, I don't know if you're, you're a dork like myself, Drew, but like I organize all of my different sports writing and like by sports, my political writing or like the political writing that I read and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, just organize it all on a Google sheet. And it's been sad over the last couple of years where I've had to like redline through some of my favorite blogs. Like just the all is gone. I miss the all. I miss the toast. I miss, um, discourses back. That's been disappearing for a little bit. A lot of my favorites said like CBS sports, just not being the same. Like it, it's just been kind of dis- it's been really disheartening to see all the different places shutter that I just kind of fell in love with and read so much in, in undergrad. And, um, in high school and who really informed my writing and who got me more into it. Um, a lot of those places have disappeared or, um, have gone away. Like I, are you at all concerned with, with that? Do you think about that a lot? Does it make you appreciate what Defector is and what y'all built more? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it have like, as we're talking about this vice has layoffs today and uh, I already had to text Tim Marchman. Yeah. Ask if he was safe. He was, but that's like, it's become so regular that I, I, I just I, I want to tell you that I get emotional about whenever it happens, but it happens all the fucking time now. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's every other Tuesday to the point where I'm like, I don't I don't know how these places have anybody left to fire, but they somehow they managed to. And, you know, it, it sucks and I don't care for it. And of course, I was part of the mass exodus at Deadspin. And, you know, had had we not all quit, you know, we would have quit you know you know in waves or you know we would have been part of layoffs or or some other you know painful annoying process like that so i'm glad we got out when we did and so i generally now try to focus on the good stuff i see you know like tyler tynes becoming the first sports writer at gq and he's fantastic and you know the success of defector and and then seeing you know friends of mine like Lindsay adler flourish over at the athletic um, you know, like all of that stuff has been been good. And so it's there's not it's not all a black hole. And I, you know, I try my best to make sure to, to remember that, because <clears throat> if we, you know, if I focus only on the fact that that the the industry is falling apart, which it always seems to be, then I'm forgetting that, you know, there are lots of good outlets still standing and lots of good people still doing good work and, you know, and to find them and to champion them and support them so that they succeed and, and that more doors open for other people to succeed rather than the other way around. Yeah. 
and there's so many good Substacks now, which is, and there's so many different like personal blogs where like so many great writers who used to write for bigger outlets where I could just bookmark them easier. It's harder to find them, but when I do, I, I add it to the thing bookmarking it. But there's a lot of lot of independent ones to, to yeah. keep track of these days. Yeah, and also I'm very like I'm I, I, I I'm pretty good about uh, keeping my tabs organized, like particularly on my desktop. I only yeah. have four or five tabs open at the same time. But on my phone, I'll have a few tabs open, particularly from places like GQ and and outside and stuff like that. And I can burn through those tabs while I'm working out uh, every morning. And so it's as efficiently as I can get most of my writing or most of my reading done. But it, it does the job. What is your workout routine every morning? I have a I have an elliptical trainer downstairs, so I just hop on that for forty five minutes, and then I do push ups so that I'm all pumped and jacked. Nice. <laughs> You're really putting uh, the Big Daddy Drew email moniker to work there. Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, when I started blogging, mm-hmm. I was anonymous, and I just had well, my wife. I just had our first child, and uh, and blogger, the the blogging platform mm-hmm. was like you need, a, you need a nickname, and I wanted to be anonymous or relatively so. So I picked Big Daddy Drew, and then I made that my Gmail, and this was you know back when I was a nobody and now that I'm more relatively known and people ask for my email address I'm like yeah it's 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 big daddy <laughs> I have to like I have to be like I know I know it's I, please don't laugh or go ahead and laugh but there's a there's a long boring story behind it and then they laugh and it's all okay what were you doing before you went from commenter to deadspin columnist I was an ad writer so I and I was happy in that profession I'm uh, was working at a small ad agency in Falls Church, Virginia, writing um, radio copy and local ad TV copy, like scripts and stuff like that, and then headlines for local car dealers and for Roy Rogers and all this shit. Interesting. Do you do you ever have an itch to go back? No, not particularly. Because like everyone who's in advertising is itching to get into like real writing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I did it, so. Yeah, I, I, I made the jump that, that most copywriters want to make anyway, so I'm happy about it. The hardest part about starting Defector was what? Um, I think, well it, was, well, it was hard at first because we were originally going to get seed money from an investor, and that was going to happen in early 2020. Now, you know what happened in early 2020. There was a pandemic, I believe. Yeah, to prevent that from happening. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we were still promised the money. And so we waited um, nine months for the money to come because we had signed a term sheet. And so we were, you know, getting ready, you know, to have to have a contract in place. Like the longer the contract, you know, sort of dilly-dallied, the more we were like, well, look, we don't, you know, we don't know if this is ever going to come through. And you know, we were all hyped up to start the site and Jesus Christ, like, you know, what if it all just falls apart until um, both Megan Greenwell and Jasper Wang, who is the COO of the of the company now, came to us and said, look, we have the infrastructure in place to start this without the seed money if you guys want to go for it. And that's when we sort of took the reins and, and decided to do it ourselves. But it was it was not without a very, very painful wait, you know, hoping that we would have someone supporting us and then going through the additional pain of figuring out how we're going to organize ourselves and how we could do it without pissing each other off. So 
and we did it. Interesting. That's good, man. And it's also just like one of those stories that you just you're you're happy about. And it gives you gives you hope for for other sites. And I'm I'm glad after a year it looks it looks good because I enjoyed Defector, and I'm glad it looks like it's going to stick around. Um, fiction writing or sports writing? What do you enjoy most? What's more cathartic cathartic for you? I mean, they all uh, they all like help exercise different muscles in my brain. So I don't like losing any of them. Mm-hmm. But of course, the most rewarding thing is to write a novel, you know, entirely, you know, from beginning to end. And it's your thing and it's your world and your characters and all that stuff. And they have people actually read it to deign to read it when they have a trillion other options and then like it, you know, that it, it it's very, it's very nice. Like, like, you know, obviously I have as big an ego as anybody else. And I like having that stoked, but really it's just, there's a deep satisfaction to it that doesn't go away. It's that, you know, it was there. You know, it, I can hold it in my hand. You know, people enjoyed it and got something from it and felt something from it. And they, and that never changes. And to have that known is, you know, that happens too with blog posts that I've written and stuff like that. But, you know, with a novel, it's its own self-contained thing that could, you know, that could live on other days, a TV show or a movie or something like that. And and that's deeply, deeply rewarding. But but all of it is is worthwhile. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it if it, if it wasn't. Do you miss anything about Deadspin? Hmm. I mean, no, not really. I yeah. I mean, when when we left, as far as I was concerned, it was dead. And when it rebooted, I never read it, and I still don't. I don't give a shit because I never owned it. So yeah. it wasn't like I just, you know, the emotional attachment I had was to the people I worked with. And once we all left, there was nothing. You know, it's it's just a name and a CMS that I'm looking at. So it it has no. It has nothing to do with me anymore, so I don't, I don't miss it. And I would have told you that I miss like the the CMS itself, like Kinja, like publishing through that. But the one that we have now is better. So, no, I don't. I, there's nothing I miss about it. I think the thing that I had to adjust to was, obviously, we're written, uh, we're read by subscribers now, and I have had to adjust my goals and expectations um, from writing for the largest possible audience I can draw in to writing for them and not getting caught up in, you know, posts that go viral and stuff like that. And that has still been a process for me because I still want my shit to blow up whenever I write it. But, you know, that that's not how it works anymore. And it doesn't need to work that way for us to all be able to eat. Advice you would tell younger Drew McGarry when you were figuring it out? Advice I tell myself? Mm-hmm. Oh God! Well, I, you know, if I if I told that guy anything, he either would have li- wouldn't have listened, or he just would have fucked it up anyway. So <laughs> I would probably keep my mouth shut, and I'd mm. probably say, you know, uh, I don't know, just just you know, marry marry that girl you are gonna marry, and that'll <laughs> that'll help take care of the rest. And how does being married and being a father inform your writing? Well, I mean, it gives you material, of course, mm-hmm. which is a very cheap thing. But also, you know, if you're married and you have a family, you have this, basically this anchor that never goes away, right? Mm-hmm. Like something can go wrong at work, you know, something can go wrong in the outside world. But I have this and I can always fall back on that. And that means there's always a net to catch me. And that's very, very important. That's true of everybody. Everybody needs a support system. You know, if you watch About a Boy, which is a really good movie, like you know, at the end, I think I don't. It might be the last line, but Nicholas Holt says, you know, we, 
we all need backup. You know, we all need backups. Like, you know, even if you think you have enough support, you, you can never really have enough. And that's that's always, always been true. And the fact that I have such an established, you know, family, I've been married almost 20 years. Um, you know, that, that, you know, that's, that's, that's everything. You know, I could, I could lose my career and I'd be very, very upset and very, very unhappy. But if I still had these people, I'd still be doing pretty good on, you know, when everything was said and done. 20 years. I didn't realize you'd been married that long. Yeah, I mean, I'm fucking old, man. Old as shit. That's wild. Um, any big plans for the 20th? The the wife may not listen to this podcast. So. My wife and I, like, I wanted to take her, like, on a, a, a vacation with just us because we've mm. never really done that. We did we flew to a wedding once without the kids, but we've never really had uh, Drew and his wife go away, like, for their own weekend. We've never done that. We were going to do it for our 15th, and then we were going to go to South Carolina, and then a hurricane was boring down, so we canceled it, and we never made up for it. So just basically you go anywhere, so long as we can actually – fucking fly so long as the omega variant isn't spreading around or something like that hell i'd be happy just going to like i don't know chicago for a day i don't give a shit interesting okay i like it N- not chicago in the winter though i can't do chicago in the winter no it's not not very fun in the winter i'll give you that what did you want to do when you were growing up i wanted to be a stand-up comic hmm um and then i wanted to have you ever tried it yeah, I did a few times in New York. I did the thing in New York where, um, you know, a club will give you five minutes on stage. If you mm-hmm. bring 10 friends, we'll pay the cover. And yeah. then they put you on at like 1230 after everyone has been subjected to like two and a half hours of other amateurs and just dickheads. And mm-hmm. like everyone's exhausted and wants to go home. I've done it. And, I, you know, I just I, you, you have to have a certain amount of uh, tenaciousness to stay on the scene. And I did not. I did not and also I wasn't that good like I, I couldn't remember my material so I, I knew I had good material but I couldn't I, cu- I couldn't you know I couldn't I couldn't I did it too I did it in Atlanta and it was yeah. the scariest thing I've ever done in my life yeah, no question no question it is it is terrifying I, I didn't forget what I read I just remember I sped through everything I remember you you just like I had time and I had a lot of a lot of minutes to spare uh, I believe I just was like getting it out of there to get out. It was, it was, yeah, it was tough. Get man. off the stage and yeah, and be alone again. Right, and you're like, why did I? Why did I want to do that to myself? Um, but it was also good. It's just a, a thing where you're like, okay, this is not for me. And it's a newfound appreciation for the Anthony Jeselnecks of the world who we didn't yeah. see all the the years of them uh, putting out the jokes that they did to crowds that were just like mm, not going to work for us, and then just being like, all right, next one. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's nothing comics love more than venerating their own craft, but it is hard. It's not easy. Take no. We're going to pause real quick for a message from our sponsors, but we'll be right back with Drew McGarry. All right, we're back on the special weekend edition of the Chase Holmes Podcast, where I am joined by one of my favorite authors slash sports writers, Drew McGarry of Defector Media. If you're not a subscriber for Defector, uh, please go ahead and do so. It's a great sports website that uh, I very much encourage you to subscribe to. Um, Drew, something about you that most readers don't know or would be surprised to know. Oh, God. Uh... Can you edit out the part where I think and I can't? Think no, this is part of it. This is good. That that means I said I asked a good question. 
I've become, I, I quit butting my fingernails a month ago and I wrote about it, but now I'm like, now I'm getting super vain about it to the point where like I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, these are pretty good. And she's like, I know, shut up. I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like, should I buff my toenails too? And she's like, no, you don't have to do that. Just leave it alone. So I've gotten, like, I was already fairly vain and I like, I make fun of my own looks enough, but I'm like, most of the time I'm looking in the mirror and I'm giving myself like a knowing smile, like, oh yeah. It's looking good. And like, and then I'll see a photograph. And I'm like, mm, that's not quite how it looked in the mirror. But mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite piece that you've written? Like all time? All time. Oh, God. Um, I think <clears throat> probably what I'm proudest of was the oral history of uh, Tony Bourdain's life after he died. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he... Um, he, he died by suicide in June and GQ wanted me to interview everyone he knew for a celebration of his life in December. But that means, you know, talking to all of them, not in December, but months and months beforehand, you know, we're talking about August, September when the wounds were still fresh. So the fact that everyone who talked to me and it was like, it was like two dozen people, the fact that they were willing to do that and that they were so, uh, open and candid when they did speak to me. Um, and they felt that I had done justice to their words you know like usually when you do a magazine profile like we, we all joke that like if the subject liked the profile then you kind of you kind of fucked up mm-hmm. like, but in this case you know this was the profile of someone who had just died and you know and, and and i was talking to people who were in grief and the idea that you know that they would feel fucked over by me you know had i gotten something wrong is it's you know that was one circumstance where i definitely did not want to do wrong by the people who who gave me their time and their effort, and I didn't. And I, I was happy with how it came out. And then um, Roadrunner came out just this this season, this summer, and sort of added another chapter to it with a lot of the same people. And it was, you know, it was interesting how it evolved, how the, you know, sort of the legacy evolved, and and you know how their thoughts on his death had evolved since then. And I was I was very very honored to be a part of that, and I was very very proud of it. The other thing was. I was also very proud to win Chopped and to appear on the Howard Stern show, but those aren't things I've written. Those are just things I got to do. Hmm. How was Howard Stern? Awesome. Like you, like there's something in that voice where you hear it and you just want to tell him everything. And that's what people do. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know. It's some sort of magic potion that comes out of him. I don't know. It's, it's fantastic. Do you, do you still do sports radio hits? Yeah, I still do it. Like if anybody asks, I do it. Hmm interesting um where did the inspiration for the hike come from okay so i was um i was at a hotel in the woods in east stroudsburg pennsylvania because i had been hired to give a speech to the incoming freshman class at east East stroudsburg university and i was the only person staying in this hotel and i wanted to take a walk and i go to the clerk and i'm like is there a trail I can walk on you know we're in the forest and she was like no not really and I was like what what do you mean no we're in the middle we're not in fucking we're not in death valley like there's places to walk so I go out and I walk and I find a trail and I was like well this is right here how can this idiot not know about it and I was like maybe it was put here just for me Mm -hmm. and then uh that got the gears going and then I just went crazy from there so did you did you write it like like how quickly did this process work? So you just started working like that while you were there for for the speech, and you just started. No, no, okay. no. Like I got like it. 
the seed was planted and I let, you know, you let germinate for a while. And then I, I think that was in winter. And, you know, by, you know, a, a couple months later, like the idea had advanced enough in my brain where I was like, okay, I can make a story out of this. And I started writing it. And when I started writing it, it only took, I don't know, three or four months. Like it did not take that long. And then I, you know, rewrote it and did all the editing and all that stuff. But usually when I write a book, um, you know, I, I try to ride the the wave as as best I can, and it, it does not take long. And then usually, when I'm done, I'm like, well, I don't quite know how I did that, but that's the fun of it. Was it the where would you rank it in terms of the books you've written in terms of difficulty? In terms of difficulty, mm-hmm. um, how would you do it? How would you rank uh, your books? It wouldn't be up, it wouldn't be up there in terms of difficulty. I think the post mortal was the hardest one I had to write, and then. Uh, you know, writing the the night the lights went out was hard. Actually, from an editing perspective, to make it, I had to restructure the entire thing and things like that. But um, like in terms of ease, I don't I don't know how to answer that question because I've enjoyed writing all the books. But what I've really enjoyed is sort of living inside them for a good long time and just being in that part of my headspace for a while. Particularly with novels, you get to sort of live in that world, even if it's not a pleasant world. You're still not here. You're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's always been a joy to me and I don't you know the, the labor of editing can be a pain in the ass and all that stuff but in general I don't like writers who are always performative on Twitter being like oh I had threw away everything I wrote this past week <laughs> I hate all that shit and I just uh, you know I just I just go with it and it's just fun to, to to flow with it so it's never you know there's always those moments where I'm sitting there like oh god like what what now but in general you know the hardest time i've ever had writing novels have been has been on novels that i have not been able to finish like i've there are two times i wrote novels and i was not able to finish them and that's when it was hard because i the idea petered out i couldn't i couldn't move it forward and and that was never fun but then again i took scraps from those novels and made point b out of it so there's always something left to salvage hmm do you think you'll ever go back to those books or is it over like that I'll ever stop writing novels? No, 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 no. The ones that you you, you cast aside because you just couldn't couldn't finish because you couldn't you hit a stopping point, or is that? A... Well, no, because I used pieces of them in in a in a novel that I did publish. Oh, I get what you're saying now. Okay, and um, and so I you know I was able to use the meat on the bone, so I, I, I kind of can't go back. And 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 yeah. that's fine. like it's frankly more fun uh, to write the first draft of a novel than it is to fix a novel that's all fucked up and broken. How hard was it for you to write about your health scare? It was not hard because I was not awake for any of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know, it, it was harder to go through the actual process of recovery. And it's still hard in some ways. And I was to actually write about it because I just have a big mouth and I tell everybody everything anyway. Right? Where it gets a little tricky, and this is true now, is making sure, and it's actually the same with Bourdain, that everyone I write about in the book who took care of me and, and, and saved my life, but they feel as if I did right by them. My mom started the book, but couldn't finish it because it was a tough time for her. And I didn't begrudge her that. And my sister won't read it either for the same reason. But my dad did read it all. And he was very overcome and, and thought it was really wonderfully done. And that was, you know, that, that made the whole exercise worth it. And I, I was just, you know, I was relieved, you know, and the, my wife liked it too, that, you know, that they didn't read it and say, Hey, what the fuck is this? You, you piece of shit. Like that would be, that would have been bad. So there was, 
like that little bit of angst, like that they might despise it and take it personally. Not that they would, you know, it's not an objective sort of dislike. You know, they're in the book, so if they had disliked it. It would have been, you know, uh, for far more uh, intimate reasons than simply, you know, objectively saying, eh, the story didn't really do it for me. Do you, do you wonder about your kids reading your books growing up? Do you think about that and what they'll think? Uh, my daughter read The Hike and liked it, and that really? was good. And, and she wants to read The Brain Book, mm-hmm. and my wife and I said it was okay, but actually, I have not seen the physical copies of it yet. It's not here until um, a week or two weeks from now, and we said she could read it, but I am going to talk to her beforehand about it, because my wife did a great deal to shield them from the worst of my injury but the book doesn't do that and so i would have to talk to her about whether she really really wants to read the details of of how close i came to the end hmm. um do you have more fiction books on the horizon drew um i mean may i, I mean i i'll put it this way i really like to but i have nothing that i'm working on right now but i'd, I'd like to do more last thing and we'll wrap up here um you could fix the Minnesota Vikings. How do you do it? I'm sorry? The last thing, we'll wrap up here. You can fix the Minnesota Vikings this fall. You can fix them. You can get them to the point where they are the favorite in the NFC North. Things are great. Things are clicking. They're a Super Bowl team. How do you How do you fix them? Like just with the magic wave of my wand? Yeah. Like uh, the magic Drew McGarry sports writer wand, yes. I mean, Kirk is gone and, and a good quarterback takes <laughs> You're out on you know, Kirk pick, Cousins. Pick from you know, pick from Russell Wilson or or Brady or uh, or Mahomes, any any of those, and that, and that would do the job. You you would need a better coach too, but you know. You, oh, you're you out on Kirk. Zimmer. I mean, I Zimmer Zimmer's is, great, man. Zimmer, I feel uh, bad for that man. He's a mar- uh, like Zimmer is good. He's good. No bad seasons. Every year, you're guaranteed at the very worst to be nine and seven. That man does not lose. Yeah, but. Trust me, it's 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 not as rosy as you think it is. If it if it were that good, then they wouldn't still be the Vikings. You know what I mean? Out on Mike Zimmer. Is this the common sentiment among Vikings fans? Not happy with Zimmer? Yeah, yeah. Most Viking fans I know bitch about Zimmer all the time. Sixty four and forty seven all time. Like at- yeah, but that's the Vi- The Vikings are sixty. You know, the Vikings are the, like the fifth winningest team in NFL history. It doesn't mean shit. Are they really the fifth winningest? They are. Yeah. Fran Tarkenton back in the day doing work to beef that yep. up. A little bit of Culpepper. I don't know if you knew this or not, but I'm a I'm a Falcons guy, being from Atlanta and everything, and um, a lot of great fa- Vikings memories on my end. Not as You're much for a you. Bastard, and I wish nothing but bad things on. I don't know you. if you remember. There was this time Michael Vick, like he he split two Vikings defenders as he wrapped up an overtime game. And oh, I field. remember. Mm-hmm. There was this other one in '98 where I watched it at a Wings place in Atlanta when I was like seven years old, and there was something about field goal. Like, we had the better Anderson of the two Anderson kickers. I don't know if you recall any of that, Drew, but it ended up putting putting the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl. I don't remember yeah, what happened rem- to the Vikings. I remember. Very <laughs> exciting. Thank you for reminding me. Drew McGarry, what uh, what would you like to plug as we wrap up here on this on special Night's edition? The Lights Went Out comes out October 5th. Oh, uh, very exciting. Stores everywhere. Very so exciting. And subscribe to Defector, too. We, we'd love to have you aboard. When is the official one-year date? I believe it is September 10th. I believe it's September 10th. I might be wrong, and everyone will yell at me if I get it wrong, but I think it's September 10th. 
Okay. All right. And again, please subscribe to Defector Media if you have not already. It's a very good website that you should subscribe to. Uh, Drew, thank you so much for giving so much of your time this afternoon. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, you stay safe out there, and uh, we'll have to reconvene sometime soon. All right. Thanks, Jay. See you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.